Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky on ESPN LA, coming to you on Wednesday, November 2nd, I believe, Halloween recently passed, so I'm, I've, got, I've got a good like uh, marker, so I can just count from Halloween. Uh, a Halloween, by the way, is evil as a holiday if you have children. Well, it's fun. No, no, but it is. The aftermath is evil because all you are doing is spending the next several days or maybe even weeks trying to keep your kids from wrestling away candy that they shouldn't be having. And that you spend your entire year otherwise preventing them from having in an effort to keep them healthy children with no cavities. Well, it's in. They always say they have more candy than they could possibly eat. And so our kids are young enough that we can kind of pull from the candy pile without making too much damage. But, um, uh, they'll they'll get some candy if they theoretically if they had like a piece of candy a day for the rest of the year they're going to make it through next halloween with plenty of candy they will but i'm just saying if you are in any way trying to keep your kids from both a having too much candy or b just getting into the habit of hand, having candy again evil holiday Evil holiday that I believe is propped up by the candy industry. Big candy, big candy. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're tired of being the, the the shill and the the victim of big candy. I just I'll tell you right now when big candy ends up in these congressional hearings, I hope they take it to them. <laughs> A gigantic three musketeers bar <laughs> testifying before Congress. Exactly. I like the image. Um, all right, so a lot to cover today. We uh, the Lakers are finally playing some games. We've got that going on. They've looked good. They're not winning a lot, but there's, I think, a lot to be encouraged about. We'll certainly talk about that. Uh, Ack, ask a Kentucky. Ack Ack is back, and we will be talking today about The Walking Dead, a Walking Dead Ack. Um, We'll give you plenty of time to turn off the podcast or avoid the spoilers because there will be spoilers, but we will warn you before they come up, so don't worry about that. Um, So all those things to cover, Andy, and we will do it after, of course, we do the big news of the day. A lot of different items, Brian, uh, involving the Warriors. Uh, First, LeBron James had his uh, annual holiday party, uh, annual Halloween party, I should say, over Halloween weekend. And there were some decorations that were direct shots at the Golden State Warriors, who they beat in last year's finals. Uh, There were... Cookies uh, made out to tombstones, uh, with made out as tombstones uh, to Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, uh, both dead at the hands of the Cavaliers, and also very much alive in real life. Oh yes, yeah, it should be. No, I don't. I think actually, were they were they dead? It'd be, it'd be in very poor taste. Well, I don't think LeBron would have done it. <laughs> I think he understands the limits, well, at least not in cookie form. Um, and there was a, a drum set that had three uh, three to one. On it, obviously, uh, noting the deficit uh, that Cleveland climbed out of or the lead that Golden State blew, depending on your point of view. And uh, it seems that a lot of guys on the Warriors did not take too kindly to these decorations. I got to be honest, Brian, I kind of like it. I thought it was great. I, I mean, like, this is the sort of low level trolling that I think is perfect for the league right now. It's, you need a little bit of this, and particularly since we're going to see these teams, as everybody thinks, again in the finals this year, barring something weird. Build this thing up, man. I mean, Draymond, Draymond Green basically said, I hate them, I hate them, I hate them, I hate them with the intensity of a thousand white-hot suns, and I want to kill them That when you know if we see them again in the spring. And I, I certainly don't blame him because it's kind of his fault in a lot of ways that they're in the situation they're in. But, you know, Steph Curry said last year when they went back to the queue that he wondered if it still smelled like champagne. I mean, that's, that's no better I mean, that's just as intentional. It's you know, it's it's no better a, a troll than what LeBron did with his uh, skeleton drummer and his his three to one bass drum. Well, that actually, to me, Brian, speaks to why I really like this and why I have no issues with LeBron doing this. The Warriors are the ones who started all the smack talking to begin with, beyond the the champagne um, smell that Steph Curry said that he hoped he still uh, still was there in that locker room. During last year's finals, uh, you know, Draymond kicking LeBron in the junk, and then, you know, Clay accusing LeBron of having his feelings hurt by trash talk. Most spates right. no, they're all, all people calling him soft. And I, I really feel like I said it then, I still believe it now. Like that took LeBron to a different place where he was just like, wait, you, you guys really want to go here? Like with me? And I, I have done more in my career than Anybody on your team, including you, Steph, will ever dream of, like, all right, we'll we'll take it here. And they're the ones who actually turn this thing personal. And, you know, the Warriors, I think, actually over the last year, you know, a lot of people have soured on them. 
And, you know, they've become... Even before, this is before even, Katie, you know, the whole... Katie oh, yeah, thing. absolutely. No, they, and finals, I think they brought this they on themselves. A, they were not a popular team. No, I think they've lost a lot of, of the likability that they used to have, and maybe they're cool with it, but, you know, if you're less likable... I don't know if they are. They may not be. Um, speaking of that, and along those lines, uh, Kevin Durant and uh, Russell Westbrook, more about their relationship in the news courtesy of... Kevin Durant, and uh, during the preseason, most people know it by now. There's a big story in Rolling Stone that pointed to a bad relationship, Andy, between Durant and Westbrook, where at the very least the whole we're brothers line that was pushed while they were teammates wasn't necessarily accurate. Uh, we learned Westbrook heard about KD's move via text, I believe, and wasn't forewarned. Uh, you know, So KD didn't call up Russ and be like, look, man, I want you to know before anybody else does, I'm heading to Golden State. Didn't do that. Um, he really should have. He probably should. Yeah. No, he definitely he should have. And, then he, and Durant admits to yes. that in, in some of these these conversations. Um, but Durant has talked a lot about it since then in a new a couple new interviews. He says, "We were brothers. We are brothers." This is one on MercuryNews.com. Yeah, this, right, this is right from, uh, from with Anthony Slater. Thank you. And he goes and talks about the Rolling Stone article and all this and that, whatever. But um, me and Russell grew up together. I was in the phase of finding out who I was outside basketball. He already knew who he was. He already had a stable life. He had uh, stable parents, a girlfriend through college. I didn't have none of that stuff. I was trying to find out who I am, which didn't, which I didn't know, which is not a bad thing. He knew who he was. So obviously we're going to grow towards this way, and he holds his arm apart. It's not a bad thing. It's not at all. We still hung it out. It depends how far boys. he put his arms apart. He's, well, got, he's a, got a long That's wingspan. what I'm saying. He's got a wingspan, man. And so he goes on, and he talks a lot about, you know, he, he, he loves him. You know, he, he didn't he's not backstabbing him. Could have handled it better. This is an interview, I believe, in USA Today. He talked about that, too. Could have handled it better and maybe should have, and he's not denying any of that. What's fascinating to me about all this is that Durant, it says a lot about Durant, it says a lot about Westbrook, and it says a lot about media, how we continue to parse this, parse this story. As media, we want so badly, and maybe it's because they're playing on Thursday, we so badly want them to hate each other. We want, the, we want them to be, we want Westbrook to be the reason that Durant is playing in Golden State. We want Westbrook to be happy that he finally can spread his wings and go full Russ, which is an amazing idea. Well, I mean, he's got the he's got he's that Nike spot. Well, he's got the Nike spot right. too. That's you know now I do what I want. You know the idea that you know similar to Donald Trump, you know, tweeting out that the shackles were off. Like really, right. really, Russ. Now, now you're answering to nobody. And so you know all of that stuff is is great, and you know we, it's, it's 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 grist for the media mill, and we, we all love that, but. The actual answer, as Durant describes it, which is like, yeah, we're like we're friends. I will always be friends with Kev, with Russell Westbrook. We're not close. We didn't hang out, but because people grow in different ways, it doesn't mean we love each other. It doesn't mean we hate each other. And very clearly on the floor, we had some. It was hard for us to play together, which is like a very normal and reasonable answer to a complicated question. We can't have that. No. So that's the that's the media part of it, but then there's all. It also kinds explains of, too why Durant yes really hates the media. Mm -hmm. I mean Durant has entered a place where he just automatically assumes the worst in media, which I don't blame him for. But it also leads him, I think, to be oversensitive and sometimes over combative with the media in a way that makes him look worse than the media. And be, Lord he, knows, you and I will. Oh. You and I will take shots. No, at the, 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 the obsession with Russ versus Durant while they were teammates was ridiculous. And I think that actually brought them closer together. The enemy of Miami. For a while, yes. Now that they're not teammates and now we can pin it to something, they are wildly different people. Durant wanted to go somewhere where he could be in a collaborative. I know we, we talked about this last week, I think, on the podcast, like, he is of that mindset that is very common, particularly among younger people, not like us, <laughs> old people, of collaboration, of enjoying your workspace, of, of, of that kind of thing. He doesn't fit into the rugged MJ-style, individualistic, Kobe, I-will-bite-your-face-off kind of mentality that a lot of sports fans want. Westbrook is that guy. Westbrook fits much better into that that hole, and so it, it kind of makes sense that you know Westbrook doesn't give a bleep, and Durant wants us 
not to think he wants to he doesn't he doesn't like the media but he also i don't think wants to be the bad guy here either he doesn't want to be the guy that broke the te- broke up the team he doesn't like being scrutinized i mean it, it's interesting i mean it's funny some of the things you were talking about with westbrook and the not giving a bleep which i i think is accurate but in particular if you read a profile that lee jenkins just did for si and westbrook that like all of lee's work is excellent there there's some things that come out there he's average there are th- some things that come out there that I thought was really interesting. First of all, Lee said that he doesn't think that Westbrook will be as broken up if he doesn't ever win a championship the way Durant would be or that it would weigh on him as much, in part because Westbrook was never the, you know, he was never the recruited guy that Durant was. He was never seen as the next big thing, you know, coming out of high school, then coming into the NBA despite being drafted fourth overall that Durant was. You know, I mean, Durant was... All- entered the league being considered one of the all-time greats in the making. So in that sense, Westbrook feels a certain, hey, this has been a great ride, better than I would have expected, better than I should have expected already. So in some ways, there's less of a pressure on him to, you know, to chase a championship, to find a championship that Durant may feel. And, you know, there, there's a certain degree that you know, Lee said this, that he thinks like Durant is just sort of seeking in general. Like he's in a he's in a seeking time in his life that Westbrook really isn't in. You know, Westbrook is married. He, he I think has a smaller circle around him than Durant does. You know, I mean Durant talked about them growing in different ways. Some of that was just the fact that, you know, Westbrook is a married man staying home. Durant isn't isn't. You know, he's out doing things that single and people any, and anybody, do. Anybody with married, I don't think I don't know if Westbrook has kids or not. But I don't he, think he does. But anybody who's married knows that you tend to hang out with other married people more than you hang out with single people. When you have kids, you really hang out with people who are married and have kids much more than you do single people. Well, what's it, really uh, go ahead. That, that just happened, but what you just said with with Durant in terms of the the, the seeking being of 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 needing a championship more than Westbrook gets back to that same kind of stuff of the awareness of what people are going to say about me. You know, it's not even it's not even to. I'm sure he wants a championship because he wants to win a title. Like you know, I'm not saying he only cares about it because what people think. We're going to judge him if he doesn't. He wants to win because he wants to win. But he, I think he's also far more sensitive to legacy questions. Than Westbrook. Well, I think he's far more sensitive just to questions. I mean, because it's it, this interview. But I, mean, but I mean, the way we are going to talk about him, right? In terms of than than Westbrook is. Oh, I for think, sure. And so that plays into it. If I stay here, I may not win a title. What are they going to say about me? Westbrook says, if I stay here, if I'm happy, it's cool. If I don't win a title, I don't, I don't care what they think anybody. And anyway, Durant is more sensitive to those questions. Than Westbrook. But again, too, I think he's just more sensitive to questions. Yeah. Like, I mean, this interview with Anthony Slater, which is very good, mercurynews.com. People should check it out. Durant goes into a lot of detail. And like you said earlier, Brian, the, the rationale that he gives for a lot of these moves and where, you know, he and Westbrook are in their relationship, a lot of it is very reasoned. A lot of it is very sensible and justified. But what I find really telling is that between this and the Rolling Stone article, Durant really wants to explain all of this. He wants to make people understand how he feels. Compare that to the piece that uh, Lee did in SI on Westbrook. You're not getting six words out of Westbrook on this. It's all other people talking about him. People ask, you know, Westbrook, his reaction to Durant comments or, you know, something Durant says, and you get either, that's cute, or, you know, Russ right now, Russell Westbrook's life is one big subtweet. His entire life now is a subtweet towards Durant or wanting you to think he's subtweeting Durant. Durant, though, is going to go far more out of his way to try to make you mm-hmm. understand what he thinks, and I think by extension, approve of what he's saying. Correct. And that's a really fascinating dynamic yeah, between no the questions. two. It explains in part why eventually they broke up. Uh, finally, Andy. The whole news thing really is about the Warriors today. Uh, Damian Lillard talking about the Warriors to uh, Comcast Sportsnet Northwest's Jason Quick, covered the Blazers for a long time, uh, talking about the Warriors without Andrew Bogut. And this was before they played on Tuesday night. But he said, quote, it's not the same uh, about the, the Warriors' defense. They're a great offensive team, and I think they'll still be a good defensive team. But it's different than when Bogut, uh, it's different, uh, than when Bogut is not back there. It's just not the same. And he talks about watching film and all that, and even lesser teams like 
New Orleans and Phoenix attacked the rim against Golden State in ways they didn't last year against uh, an Andrew Bogut having Warriors team. This ties in really well with what I think serves the NBA very well from that opening night thrashing the Warriors took um, against San Antonio. How true all of this ends up at the end of the season, hard to say. No question. We've talked about this. They're worse without Bogut inside. I think think the last few years, Bogut has been the most underappreciated member of that team on both sides of the ball. Correct. His passing and the way he could pass from, you know, the top of the circle – Offers you know offers them a lot of opportunity to play off ball. It opens up the offense. Zaza Pachulia can't do that, they so they're going to they're going to miss Bogut on both sides. They will, but I mean, I think offensively, given who they replaced him with, it's less of a concern. But he's exactly right. They are not going to be as good inside defensively with Pachulia or you know Javale McGee, who isn't a an aware enough player <laughs> to you know really fit into team scheme. He'll protect the rim for you, but he's going to do all kinds of other really weird, goofy stuff. He might protect the wrong rim. Right. <laughs> it's very possible. <laughs> JaVale, we're on this side. It's like when I coach my, my, my four-year-old in soccer, half of the game is, which way are we going? Which way are they going? I think, you have to, I think Steve Kerr does that with JaVale sometimes. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, the, 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 the part about um, you know, Bogut not being there is a is a narrative. It's something that we can look at and say, "Hey, wait a minute! There's a potential weakness." When the Spurs go out and annihilate Golden State, who hasn't lost since and could very well in two weeks be, you know, twelve and one, and in in a month they could be twenty five and two, and on their way to doing exactly what we thought they would do, there at least was at the very beginning. Something that could be thrown into that conversation where people were so worried about it being a boring season in the Western Conference where people can say, aha, but look, that's how they're vulnerable. The Spurs were big, and they beat up on the, on, on, on uh, Golden, Golden State. State. And look at what Lillard said and, and the, their numbers in the paint and all that kind of stuff. They got 75 more games or whatever it is to compensate for some of the things that they'll, they'll learn to do, and I think they will, and I think they'll end up being a very good defensive team, in part because they lose Bogut, but Durant is an outstanding defender. He can be. He so, certainly can be. And so I think they'll figure it out. But for the benefit of the NBA, that the Warriors showed some vulnerability early, it was, was huge. I mean, it benefits them really well, and so comments like this, Again, they just sort of feed into that, and it helps that it's true. They will not be as effective without Bogut. And also, too, it probably would that they're true will hopefully help the Warriors, you know, recognize what they need to do because to become the best version of themselves as possible, yeah. which means they're the most entertaining version of themselves possible. And that's what we want to watch. Right. Anyway. And they still have the lineup of death, which is a huge thing on both sides of the ball. It's just, and the lineup of death will still be really good. You know, you add Durant to it. The difference is they just lose an option. You lose a tool for the tool belt. So we'll see how that works out over the course of the season. Um, worth noting, too, the Warriors were up 27 at the end of the third Tuesday night against Portland. Yep. <laughs> so they might not be quite as vulnerable as Lillard would like. You still have time to turn off the radio before or your podcast before we get to the Walking Dead spoilers. Yes. We're yeah. not there yet. Nope. Turning to the Lakers, Andy. They are one and four. Three. Three. As we speak today, they play Atlanta in a couple hours. Probably will be one and four. Atlanta's looked pretty good earlier in the Particularly season. Particularly because they're going to be playing without Timofey Mozgov. I actually just got an injury update from the Lakers. Um, they had a CT scan uh, on him after being diagnosed with a left eye contusion. If you saw Timofey he after that. really bad. Yeah, he looked like a boxer. Very much I must break you. The CT scan... Um, the results were inconclusive. He's going to have additional tests performed in L.A. Uh, once the team comes back, but he will not be available against Atlanta for obvious right. reasons. Um, so, you know, but you know, hopefully he's not gone for particularly long. But either way, it's been, I think, a very encouraging start to the season. You know, they, they won the opening night game against Houston, a potential playoff team in the West. I think mean, most people think they'll probably get in there in one form or another. Um, and then you go on a road, you lose to Utah, I think a top-four team in the West. You lose to Oklahoma City, I still think you know could win close to 50 games this year. I like them maybe more than other people do. And Indiana Most is, people at least think OKC will be in the playoffs. They'll be in the playoffs. I, th- I just think, that I, I think their drop-off will be less pronounced than other people do. And then you lose to Indiana, who is probably a top-four team in the, in the East. You go to Atlanta. Playoff team. You lose a playoff else. team, if nothing else. The idea that they could be in, pull an offer on this trip, 
is not exactly surprising. Then they're going to play Golden State on Friday and probably lose that game too. So they're going to have you know very good chance to one and five. But be that as it may, I think the early signs for what they've done so far are positive. Well, I mean, one thing you can look at, and it's small it's small sample size theater, but I think it's also Brian something that you could look at and say, okay, this may be a legit sample of what lies ahead. Their differential differential in losses this year is minus 6.2, you know, meaning that that's the spread between them and the winning team on average. Right. Last year it was 9.6. Right, and it's a misleading one because, you know, the Oklahoma City game turned out to be – that was like a – they lost that game by like 14 or whatever, but they were within four, I think, with four minutes to well, play. What I, what I was going to say, though, is not only is it a, a smaller differential than last year's team, but – like you said, th- this is against really good competition yes. to open the season. They've had a hard schedule to open things up. So that means against lesser teams, you know, they have a better chance of winning these games or at the very least losing by a smaller margin. And, you know, we're seeing they, they're keeping games much right. the tighter Indi- the Indi- this year. The, they were, the Indiana game was basically well, they, tied. they keep giving themselves opportunities right. to that win. Was not even a, when that they was lose. not a, They lost the game by seven. That was not a seven-point loss. It was, you know, functionally, in terms of the competitiveness of the game, it was a one- or a two-point loss. And last year, that wouldn't have happened. Last year, the, 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 the version of the Lakers would have let yesterday, you know, Tuesday's game get away from them in the middle of the third quarter, late in the third quarter, something like that, and would not have been competitive down the stretch. And so if they can clean up little mistakes, even going into the half, they gave up two second-chance opportunities in consecutive possessions to Indiana. They converted both of them. Clean up little mistakes like that. The gap between winning some of those games and losing, it's not that big, and they're getting closer. Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing I've noticed in terms of losses and what I think needs to get fixed most, if they are going to try to win some of these game games, is just it's unforced errors. I mean, they yeah, they, sure. they have to cut down on turnovers. I mean, that's big for any team, but particularly a team that can't afford to give away possessions. Like nobody on this team, other than D'Angelo Russell, should be allowed like a long pass. Nobody else on this team should be allowed to do it. I would argue nobody on this team should be allowed to throw an alley oop. Period. They're not. Well, do we, and, and if you are going to throw an alley oop, don't do it like Ingram, Ingram did to Meta. <laughs> like, so of funny. all the guys to throw an alley oop pass to, but like, don't do it to Meta. Do you remember a It was, I think, three, three years ago, Jody Meeks' first year with the Lakers. I, I said, and I wasn't really kidding, Jody should be fined every time he dribbled just because bad things would happen whenever Jody would attempt to dribble. That should be this team with alley oops. I mean, they just they have to be really careful about not, you know, playing outside what they do well. At least to this point, right? They need to sometimes keep things simpler, which I think can be that can be hard for a team that's a young and b playing up tempo. You know, playing fast, you sometimes I think have an instinct to go for the spectacular. But having said that, if they start cutting down on these unforced errors, it feels like they are going to be in most games and might come out on the winning side more than maybe either one of us expected. It's possible. I mean, look, I, I think there's we, – we were talking – I was talking about this with Travis yesterday on the on the uh, pregame show. The Lakers have – and I haven't looked up the numbers since the Indiana game. But, you know, and it's small sample size theater. It doesn't really matter if I'm looking after three games or four games. Early on, the Lakers have gone from 29th in offense to 22. Doesn't sound like a big jump, but that's actually, you know – for that short of time, a, it you're matters. jumping over a third of the league. Yeah, they've gone from 30th in defense to 18th. I don't again, don't know what the numbers look like after the inning game, but that's not the point. If they stick in that general area, where instead of 29th and 30th in the league, they are 19th, 20th, you're still bot- at the very end of the middle third of the NBA in most things. But the difference between that and 30th and everything being the worst at basically everything you can do on a basketball court, which is essentially what the Lakers were last year. If you do that, you go from 17 wins to 27 or 28, which, which is great more than I thought. And it would be a great season, right? Eventually I think it settles out. They probably end up a, you know, somewhere around 20 in offense and probably 22, 23, 24 in defense. It's, a, it's the right way to go. But I, you know, I just, I, there's certain, and offensively, they're not getting a lot from Russell who's shooting about 30% and has not been very good, and that needs to change, and I think it will. He's too good a shooter. He's, he can't hit, really can't hit anything from two. 
His three point shooting's been fine, but he, it's okay. He missed well going. He missed all of them yesterday, but he was shooting thirty eight percent. I happen to know the numbers because I, I wrote them all down yesterday. He was shooting thirty two percent or whatever from the field overall, and thirty eight percent from three point range. So the three point shot hasn't been awful. It's been everything else, and that's been sort of compensated for by Randall, who has hit like sixty eight percent of his shots, including fourteen of fifteen in the restricted area. All numbers that are eventually going to even out. But particularly with Randall, I think we got some negative calls on him yesterday after the, the show that I didn't uh, during the show that I didn't understand. I think I, he's. I, I think by and large, Randall's looked, looked really much better. Good. He's looked really good, in particular too, the way he's becoming more of a playmaker. Like even on plays that don't directly lead to assists, directly leading to setting up a teammate. You know, the hockey assists or just moving moving the ball, putting it in motion to eventually set up a good shot for somebody else on the other side of the court. These are things he wasn't doing last year. Last year he was largely just bulldozing towards right, the he basket. Would, he would either bulldoze towards the basket and you know either try to score or pick up an offensive foul or whatever, or he would be very obviously trying to facilitate. This year, more often, he's, he's got his head up. And he's able to do both. Yeah, and it's it, not perfect. No, but, but, he's, but he's played one year. But that handle that he has, that it, it's extremely good for somebody his size. I've always thought that that next step is okay. It's got to move beyond creating for yourself. It's got to be about creating more for each other. Particularly if you love taking the ball, out, you know, off a defensive rebound and going coast to coast. Right. It can't always be just to set up yourself. Right. And Russell said, I think after it was the Oklahoma City game, that there could be nights where Randall has more assists than he does because of that, because he can grab the ball off the boards and bring it up himself to create a basket. And if the Lakers can do that with, obviously Russell can do it, and Ingram, they're giving him opportunities to be that kind of point forward guy, which I think is great because it does it, it allows him to function outside of a half-court offense where he's going to either be tempted to sort of go stand in the corner kid or it's just hard I me mean, you can only run him around so many screens and this and that because opposing defenses can knock him off well, and, he, and also but, too but, he's, but, just, just finish. you have russell who can do it you can have randall who can do it clarkson can handle the ball and, and distribute it all of these young guys are capable of bringing the ball up the floor and moving it and that eventually when everybody hopefully reaches their peak creates a pretty dynamic group of offensive players. Well, it's so, also, I was just going to say, it's it's especially great to see this, I think, with Randall, just because he was the guy that entering this season, most people, I think most Laker fans and even a lot of people who cover, you know, the Lakers or basketball have been most down on. Well, we, we, down, and also, too, we read it, I think it was either last week or the week before, we went through some of those scouting reports. Most scouts think that Russell has a chance to be very good. Most scouts agree that Ingram has a chance to be very good. The division between what people think Randall can be anywhere from a role player. I don't think anything is going to fall out of the league. He's not a bust. He's a double-double guy. That, why that one guy said he was Anthony Bennett. Right, but, that, but that guy was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, he may not be a star, but I, I think Anthony most, Bennett isn't getting burned with the Nets. Right, most people, Did you know he was on the Nets? I did know that. Most people, I just discovered that. <laughs> most people have seen enough from Randall to say, the guy's going to have a 10-year NBA career or whatever it is. And so, you know, but the division between what he could be to, you know, is, is big. So some people think six man, some people think, you know, on a good team, probably just a role player too limited in other things. Some people think, you know, maybe borderline all-star or even reaching all-star. If he hits the top end of that range, that, 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 that makes a profound difference for where the Lakers are in, in 2020. As opposed to like if he's just that role guy that some scouts think he is. Speaking of role players, I would say if there's any commonality over the course of the first four games for the season, it's that fans don't seem to like what they see in Luol Deng. Um, and I can't say, to be honest, that I blame them. He's, I think he's, what, 31? Yes. Man. But he's, he's an old 30. If you cut Luol Deng open and count the rings, thanks to what he did in Chicago when he played... Oddly enough, managed to play 56 minutes a night. I don't know how. I don't know how they've had, it's like they had extra games for him to play. But Lou Aldang put a lot of tread on he those guys. He is all of a sudden Chicago. looking at, I was joking with Travis, uh, I'll bust out this nickname for him, Lou Aldang. <laughs> uh, Lou, Lou Aldead? That's a little more morbid. That's, but. that's too morbid. But let's I mean, let's again, start with old. He has averaged over the course of his career, which is now uh, 12 years. This is his 12th year. He has averaged 35 minutes that's a lot it's a lot of hoop and i know dang hasn't gone super deep in the playoffs with regularity that's a lot of hoop 
most basketball people didn't like the Deng deal either. And well, I think I, I think a lot of them saw it. I, think it was, I know I didn't. Maybe as positionally, at least Mozgov was a dire need for this team. You know, I wonder about you know, Deng in three or four years. I mean, ugh. I mean, he's a guy who's already on the downside. At least you can say Mozgov is still either at the peak or, you know, there for me. Dang, is pretty clearly on the downside. Well, it's, it's just, well, they're about the same age, but he, either way, it's but just mileage. It, I'm just it, talking mileage. It's just interesting to see how right now, because Mozgov, I think, by and large, has played pretty well. I think I Mozgov, exactly what you want to do. I think Mozgov has actually looked very good for the team. It's going to be interesting to see how, and look, this could be a case of Dang right now just pacing himself. Because it's a long season. I remember Travis and I, we were watching uh, the game against OKC. And there was there was a sequence where there was a loose ball that really just went by Luol Deng. And you could see he was clearly like, F that. I'm not diving I'm on the ground. It's, it's game three. Right. I am not doing that now. And I was like, you know what? Well, I don't he, disagree he with you. He's camp. And so that doesn't help. You know, I, I don't know what kind of shape he's in right now. You're right. He's probably pacing himself to some degree. But it, it's funny. Like, how do you measure him by... His offensive numbers, or do you measure him really by his defensive numbers? And I think because I, the, the, I will, you know, is he a good guy in the locker room? I'm sure the Lakers could have found he needs to produce, be productive on the floor as well. They can't just you can't just give 17 million for a guy to be good in the locker room. I agree. Um, and so, I you know, on some nights you kind of hope he isn't the guy. He's averaging seven and six with a 10 per, and he's not shooting the ball well, 38 um, percent and 25 percent from three. You know the numbers aren't horrible. Like the the night to night, they've been very inconsistent. And is he doing defensively what you want him to do? He didn't put up big numbers against Houston in the game one, but he was, I think, the only starter who was a positive. Well, was, I think it was a plus one on the. Someone night. pointed this out on Twitter, and I apologize for not giving you uh, credit for tweeting at us at Cam Brothers. But they said that it was, it was, it was disappointing, but they felt maybe perhaps alarming that down the stretch of the Indiana, Indiana game, game he, wasn't on the floor. he wasn't on the floor with Paul George, the guy that in theory Correct. you signed him to guard. And I will say if this season doesn't work, like if they if they don't get production out of him, and I would encourage people to look at the defensive stats in, you know, at the end of December, look around Christmas right. time and see what it looks like compared. They're not going to be good because no defensive stats for the Lakers, the metrics aren't going to be good for him. But look how they compare to the rest of the team. If he's if his defensive numbers are okay and he's averaging six points and seven rebounds or whatever a night and isn't a fundamental part of the offense, that's fine. Because ideally, you don't want him to carry what you're doing. You know, you want Clarkson, Randall, Russell, those guys to be more of your offensive players. Um, but early returns, I agree with you, are not strong. One more Lakers thing I wanted to ask you about: sort of early returns. Um, Nick Young has not looked great in the starting lineup. Any chance? How quickly do you think they, they stick with this? Or I think how long gonna, do you think they? Stick I think with they'll this? keep. I think Luke's going to want to try to keep it going a little long, in part because it seems like he's trying to find a rotation that works. And there's only so much tinkering you can do before you never land on what you're looking for. Right. And I also think I think Nick. It's funny. It's not often you say this, if ever. Defensively, he's been ahead of where he is offensively. Like it's like his quest to become a two-way player has robbed him of his offense. His one superpower. Like he, he's trying too hard on defense, and in return, he can't get right. shots and to not, fall. He's, and he's not so. Let's let's keep the Nick Young defensive improvement in contact. He's better than he has been, but he's not. It's not great, right? But so, the, but the effort is there. I mean, right. he's definitely efforting this, and I would imagine that they're going to keep. I would imagine Luke's going to keep it like this for a little while. Because Clarkson really does fit in well with that second unit. But, I think I think Lou Williams and Nick Young in a second unit together is very redundant. I but see here's the thing. I think what they'll do, and I if I and I I would make this change sooner rather than later. I think you keep Clarkson where he is, partially because I think it's a good role for him. He's playing in fourth quarters. He's getting minutes. It, it's it's just it up his well. minutes. No, I would swap out Nick for Lou. I put Lou back in the starting lineup and do it that way. And then leave like Clarkson. That. Leave Clarkson where he is. What's the difference really between because because in theory because in, in theory you know these bad starts that they're being getting off to you add another ball mover. Nick doesn't do that. And wow, that's a scathing indictment of Nick Young. If you're calling Lou Williams a ball mover, better than I mean, Nick Nick Young. Nick Young averages for his career 
like barely an assist. No, per I know game. we've talked about before under right. Dan Tony, he had his uh, career high one point five assists per Lou game. Lou Williams for his career averages four assists a night in twenty, you know, you know, or something like that. He's averaging four assists a game this year, and for his career, it's three in twenty three minutes a night. That is, those are Magic Johnson distribution totals for Nick Young in twenty three minutes to get four assists sure. a night. That's like four weeks worth for Nick. And so I, I would just do it that way. That's I mean, we don't have to, you know. I, I was I was. I'm just going to tell you the reason I really about right. The what, reason I, I think it'll do. The, okay, the reason I wouldn't do it is just because I think you are you are going to start having serious defensive issues if you're going out there with starters versus Lou Williams. Lou Williams gives up a lot of size and a lot of defense, no matter who he's size. matched That's up true. against. That's a big reason I think, in part, why Lou has. Really, never been a starter in his career. That, that is He's just too small. I still think he ends up playing the same twenty-four minutes a night. It's just where they end up. Uh, exactly. Operating. Well, we'll see. Um, either way, something interesting to think about. A um, couple more Lakers items, Andy. First of all, uh, ESPN's uh, NBA rank is out, and um, Kobe didn't even make it this year, which is the ultimate insult, I think, to Kobe and the Lakers. They had the top two hundred. He's not even in it, Andy. I mean, I don't. I don't want to tell you. Oh, wait, he, he retired. <laughs> but you hate I, – I, I bring this up only because – not because we're going to sit here and dissect whether or not, you know, some guy is the 176th best player in the NBA when he should be the 174th. Every year when this happens, your level of contempt for this project that is ESPN's is so naked and entertaining – People need to understand and be reminded of it. Well, my contempt grows with each year because <laughs> each year I figure, okay, this will be the year where they stop doing this stupid project and they're trying to make fans care about who the 188th best player in the NBA is versus the 187th. It's it's just clickbait. And I remember when you and I used to write for ESPNLA.com and we used to have to do breakdowns of every Laker who ended up on this godforsaken list. I would Rating actually of 156. I would, Go! I would always mention how stupid I think this thing is. And, you know, our editors would be like, you sure you want to keep this in there? I'm like, no, I demand it. Right. I demand it stays in there. I am, Brian, it's rare that I do this. I'm not going to yes and. <laughs> if you try to if you try to make me no, talk I about wa- anything I in this. I want to whether or not Evan Turner belongs at 152 as opposed to 151 with Manu. I'll just sit here staring at you. <laughs> Not going to do it. But the thing about it is, people actually do debate these sorts of things, and it's I know. dumb. And I, I respect you for taking a stand. Um, this is really, Andy, how we're going to make America great again. <laughs> By refusing to bend to stuff like that. i got to say, whichever candidate promised to get rid of NBA rank. <laughs> Hashtag NBA rank. Hashtag MAGA. I might <laughs> vote for that. <laughs> well. I really might. Okay, that's the end of the basketball portion, Andy. It is now time to warn people that spoilers may be coming if you haven't caught up on uh, The Walking Dead because this week's ACK, ah! Ask a Kamenetsky, is all about The Walking Dead. Um, we took questions from you on Twitter, and we will be answering them. And, of course, the new season is going. And if you haven't caught up, just stop listening to the podcast. That's enough. We're not going to do anything else. Got already this got the, good duration this numbers is the last, from you. This is the last thing we're doing. You're not going to miss anything. Okay. Uh, to begin, okay. Uh, from you've been warned, Christopher Bednash at USC Chris O three O four. Don't you think there were times in the RV that Rick could have easily lunged at Negan, take took the gun from him and killed him? I'm just saying, Liam Neeson would have found a way to kill Negan and all his men. He's got skills. Um, this, of course, a reference to the first episode of the season. Um, no. The trip inside the camper. Yeah, the trip inside that camper. Um, I would say no. I feel like you know, got to remember the context here. Negan was is spry. He's not beat up. You know, the 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 Rick gang. Do they have a name? They're just the Ricks. We call them the Ricks. The Ricks were all like, you know, they were driving around. They were beat up. They were on their knees all night. He's not properly stretched out. He's not, you know, it, even when he did the thing, you know, grab the knife or whatever. The he, axe. The axe. Grab the axe and he tried. You know, he got the gun up. Negan thought this through. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, this this was not going to work, and you got to you got to pick your spots, you got to pick your battles. Had he tried it, I don't think it would have worked. Liam Neeson, though, probably, but Liam Neeson has a set of skills that Rick, even as a member of law enforcement, does not. It also would have been very interesting if, say, Rick had managed to, I guess, kill Negan with that axe. Right. What do you do from there? Like, what do you do if you're Rick, other than well, you a- take the gun. First of all, you take his gun. 
And then you go back and you just you try to just start shooting people. It would right? be, vi- it would be very, very right. It's like it's hard. To, what do you they were do? Outnumbered. You, and he's the only guy on his team right. with a weapon. Unless, in, I mean, he did grab the axe and attempt, I guess, sort of half-heartedly to go at Negan. But the reality, but also Negan was going to kill him if he did. Sure, but the rea- I was going to say the reality is, once you do that, the only move you have if you're Rick is just to abandon those guys altogether. And just and go on honest, your own. Some of them are dead weight. <laughs> some of them are dead weight. Yeah. Um, but Carl's that's... not bringing much to the table anymore. <laughs> got one eye. Got that hat. Needs a haircut. I do respect Carl. who's like willing to just like go ahead and chop off the arm now. Let's get this over with. So good for Carl. Um, from Donald Stone Cipher. Why does everybody care about Glenn and Abraham, but nobody cared about T-Dog and Bob? What about Bob? I'm sailing. Uh, this, of course, I think in part is in reference to the fact that black characters get killed off in horror films and horror shows with regularity to the point of being cliche. Um, and, you know, much more than the white guys do. And that's totally true. This happens all the time. I will say people cared about Glenn because Glenn was there from the beginning and is sort of a, I think, a, a core character, not just of the show, but also of the comic. Um, Bob, I feel like people cared about Bob. T-Dog, I agree. T-Dog was never given enough to do. He died in what, like season two or three? I think season two at the latest. It's been a while for T-Dog. And T-Dog never had enough to do that anybody could build up. The only thing T-Dog was there for was to have the conversation about when is the next black guy going to be killed. Yeah, but you know what, though? I I remember feeling for T-Dog because if memory serves, T-Dog sacrificed himself. Oh, T-Dog. Yeah, T-Dog, you're a rough guy. If I remember that correctly, he sacrificed sacrificed himself, if I remember right. And because I remember feeling like, whoa, when he died, like, I got to be honest, Glenn's death didn't really affect me at all. I was actually T-Dog, knowing that he was about to die and uh, took it upon himself to do everything he could to save Carol and really showed the kind of guy that he was. I was far more affected by Abraham's death than Glenn, actually, in part because I grew to like uh, Abraham's character. And Glenn should have died last year. That's the point. I think I think the walking dead F this up. The minute they did that cheap death with Glenn, where Glenn, you know, inexplicably under the yeah, inexplicably managed to get out of that, because beyond the fact that I guess I, I don't read the graphic novels, but apparently this is where Glenn is supposed to die in the graphic novels. I think they undercut a lot of the emotion that you would have felt with Glenn because people oh, were no, people were so pissed that. off that he cheated that right. in a way yeah, that I think just a lot of jumped the knew shark. It, knew it was coming. Having said that, though. I actually think there's a decent track record on The Walking Dead for black males actually living. I mean, for every T-Dog or Tyrese or Bob, you've got Gabriel. You've got Morgan, who I, I, I think Morgan Morgan's is the easily be- the coolest character. He's the, the best show. character on the show. Yeah, it's, it's, I, not, it's I find, not even close. I find Morgan the most compelling, most interesting character on The really Walking well Dead. Too. Very well acted. And black women do well. Michonne, I think she's in it for a while yeah. because Rick has already lost Lori. He's already lost a loved one. You can't go back to that well again. Otherwise, nobody's ever so going to date Rick again. The Walking Dead is sort of breaking down barriers. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what you don't see a lot of? Maybe I'm just not like, you don't see. You, they, Sasha, by the way, I think she's safe. Yeah. At least for you a don't see while. a lot of, of, of like zombie kids. And I don't know why. Like, where are all the zombie babies? You've seen get, a few. They get, they get eaten? They were early on. Do they get eaten? Like the zombie zombie toddlers. You don't see many of that. I don't know. Do they get eaten? I don't know how that works. I don't I don't know. You know I think I, I just feel like because that I think would be too visceral for people. Maybe. But I don't They pick their spots with that. I don't know. I, I have to go. Now I'm going to go back and look. Maybe what you're saying is like they don't kill off the black characters as much as, as you might think. How many black zombies are there? Oh, you've seen it. You've seen are there a lot zombies. of them? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. There, okay. there have been plenty of black zombies. Because they are down south. I, I, do, <laughs> I, I just feel like that insofar as the horror genre goes. It's not like the show's not taking place in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, like The Walking Dead in Iowa is a very different look in terms of the makeup of the zombie characters. Walking Dead in Oregon. Right. Or, you know, the, Walking <laughs> wow. Dead, the Walking Dead, Utah. Yeah. Like as somebody pointed out today, like, you know, there was a, a poll that, you know, one of these polls that you know the, the Trump is getting, you know, twenty four percent of the 
the black vote in Colorado, to which one of the people said that that's like four people. <laughs> you know, like one less person and he's getting 7% of the black vote. And so I'm like, that would be kind of like the demographics of where, like what zombies look like with each show scattered around the country. There's your spinoff. It is, though, by the There's way. There's your spinoff, Andy. It is, by the way, one reason that I do think The Walking Dead is quite popular is the way they incorporate a lot of demographics. I mean, it's, it's the Fast and the Furious model. In terms of casting. Yeah, and that, that, and there's a lot of uh, violence. Yes. People like that. Uh, moving on. Uh, how can the kingdom, this is uh, an elect, uh, uh, a reference to the third, uh, the second episode, the one that aired uh, last week from John C. at Jobber99. How can the kingdom have electricity and running water and a movie night? Those questions are related because you need electricity, I guess, to have movie night. My guess they had running water in the last place they went to, so if nothing else, if it doesn't make... <laughs> you might need Netflix. If it doesn't, that that would be unrealistic. <laughs> but if they don't have... Like, if it was unrealistic in the last place, that may be, but I've already been kind of convinced that you can still have running water because I don't know how running water works. Um, and I'm assuming the rest is just generators. Yeah. Like my answer to everything in, in places that are civilized for The Walking Dead is generators. What, to me, this really drives home is how overpriced all of these services are for us in real life. Because there is nobody manning the store right now for all of these utilities, right. and you're getting them all <laughs> for free. Like, you can still apparently, no, you're not getting electricity without a generator. But you might still be getting running water. You might still be and getting if water. I, and I would no longer be paying at least the, the trash portion of my DWP bill, because they are not collecting that. There, <laughs> nobody is coming to collect my trash. My gas doesn't work. Or maybe it does know they I were don't cooking, know. but they were cooking. That's the what I'm place. saying. Like, all of these things, there's nobody minding the store. And, and yet, you're getting all these services. Yet, it's um, a ripoff. But here's, here's what I will say. Similar to long distance. Yes, which that really turned Cell out. Cell phones. It is ex- no more expensive to call, you know, Paris than it is to call Sacramento. In fact, back in the day, they used to make it more, like, it was totally screwed up. Like, it cost more to call Bakersfield from L.A. than it did Miami. Explain that to me. Even if it's true, like, you know, the, the, the cord is longer going to Miami than it is to Bakersfield. It's all one it a big, giant scam. Big scam. Um, but I will say this. My reaction to this question, my answer, generators. Is that right? Is that accurate? I have no idea. If you are one of those people who is tempted to think more deeply about the question than that, I would, hesit- I would ask you to stop because you're going to ruin your own your ability to enjoy the show. Probably just this is one of those shows that because it's so big, it has chat boards and it has this and that, and whatever. And people want to dissect it in ways you should. The digger you, the, the digger you deep, <laughs> the deeper you dig into a show like The Walking Dead, the more likely you are to ruin it for yourself. So I'd encourage you not to do that. Finally, from Eric Cruz at, at Sector Cruz on the Twitter. If you were in the Walking Dead universe, what would be your signature weapon? I.e., like Negan's bat, Daryl's crossbow. What would it be? Morgan Staff. Easily. Yeah. The, the way he uses that thing is awesome. Mm-hmm. And it, there's something, there's something like poetic and, and kind of beautiful. You know, I mean, it's like, it, you know, it's rooted in martial arts. Yeah. Like the, the simplicity, but the effectiveness of the way he uses that, and specifically for the reasons he uses it. I, I, that's the one I would want to use. back to one of my use. favorite episodes. Yes. Um, I would say... That might be the best I, episode of I the would Walking use Dead. a staff or a bat or something. Here's, here's the problem. I don't know how to work a crossbow. And plus, you run out of stuff. Like you run, I mean, it's good for killing the, the, the walkers when they're way far away. But as they get closer, you got to know what you're doing or else you're going to get eaten. So that, I don't... I, you know, I, I guess a gun would be great if you have it. But, um, you know... Uh, a machete. A lot of people use machetes or swords or things like that. And what I think you find is if you get it into the wrong one and you don't know what you're doing, you don't handle a machete well, it gets stuck. Yeah. You see that happen a lot where you you whack the, the zombie, you don't kill it, and now your your thing is stuck and you can't get it out. That's why I so like the staff. Staff, a bat, it does the job. I know how to use a bat. I think I'd probably choose a bat because I, I'm more familiar. It's a little closer than a staff, but also, too, then you're not. it's not like far away. Um, so I would use. I, I would say if you're going to use a bat, you should use Lucille. I would. Lucille's good, or I would look for aluminum. This is not a the 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 the, the, the zombie apocalypse is not a time to be wedded to the purity of wooden bats. <laughs> you know, like collegiate rules. Right. <laughs> I'm going to get my. I'm going to get an Easton. 
Right. And I'm going to do it that way. You can go college rules because here. I don't want my I don't want to, you know some off speed pitch where I'm a little ahead of the swing and my bat breaks. That's not good for anyone. No, a broken bat is potentially. So devastating. I'm going to I'm going to my local Omni Sports. <laughs> hashtag reference to uh, about five people who might get that if you happen to own Omni Sports. Um, I'm going to my local sporting goods store and I'm going to get as many aluminum bats as I can. Um, that's that's my that's my choice. And then uh, last question, not uh, from anybody submitted, but I'm just curious. What do you think so far of what's happened? I like it, but see, I I am I I I've followed my philosophy. I think better than a lot of people have. Where I I'm not. I, I sometimes watch with my computer on my lap. I. I'm not obsessed with the show. I sort of find it entertaining. If it's a week that I don't, if I'm not into it, I just kind of tune out for that week, make, you know, follow any plot points on a quick recap or whatever it is and come back the next. I've given up on the show being like a really well done, cohesive, uh, breaking bad. You know, it's not the wire. It's not one of these shows where it really is a, a really, really well crafted piece of television. This is well-crafted in other ways, but not narratively. It's, it's not story that does it. It's not character development that does it. I'm either entertained or I'm not. And generally, these episodes, I've been more entertained. And I think I've been more entertained by more episodes than other people have because I'm not taking it quite as seriously. For anybody with, uh, with kids, you may appreciate this. When I was watching King Ezekiel. Uh, Walking Dead Jr. <laughs> <laughs> when I was watching uh, King Ezekiel. Series, Lego, Lego, Walking Dead. <laughs> I'd watch that. It'd be interesting. The whole time with him, I'm like, why do I know him? Why do, like, I'm like, he doesn't look familiar Corey to Payton me. Corey Payton is, I believe. Yeah, uh, Carrie, Carrie Payton. Payton. I'm like, he does not look familiar to me at all, but I know him. So then I looked up his IMDb. Uh-huh. He is the voice of Cyborg on Teen Titans Go. There you go. So I was recognizing his voice, voice the whole time, and I'm like, that's we, the yeah. majority of his career well, is voice character. work. And I like that. I like the second episode where he kind of peels away his yeah. his whole shtick, and it's like, you know, and I, I, again, again, just is it, it kind of allow yourself to be entertained. Don't ask too many questions. Yes. That's my theory. I would agree. The and, Walking Dead. and even then, it still can be sometimes. And you know what? That's actually a good philosophy for people listening to this podcast. Allow yourself to be entertained. Don't dig too deep. Don't ask too many questions. Probably for it's the probably best. better. Uh, and speaking of that, we will be back next week, right? Yeah. Real quick, though, I want to give uh, I want to give people a heads up, except for those who stop listening because of spoilers. Right. <laughs> uh, Friday, Brian and I will be interviewing a director named Ricky Stern about uh, a documentary for HBO Marathon: The Patriots Day Bombing about the uh, Boston Marathon bombing. Um, it is. It's a good documentary. It's very well done. I think this will be a really good discussion, so So be on the alert for that. All right, we'll see everybody next time.